Doctors don't get rich. That's a true story. No matter how much you get paid per hour or per service or per project, if you get sick or you get hit by a bus, the music, music stops. You know, you can get paid $10,000 an hour, but if you don't have the ability to give that hour, you're not going to get paid. What you want is you want your money out there working for you, and you want that money to make you more money, and then you want that, that money to start making babies and let it just compound over time. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is the rich doctor himself, Tom Burns. Tom is a former orthopedic surgeon who started real estate investing to build passive income and financial independence and was ultimately able to create independence through real estate investing. Today, you're going to learn from his journey, how he got started, how he built wealth over time while balancing his work, his real estate investments, and the most important thing, his family. We also discuss how he protected himself from liability. A lot of high earners and doctors are certainly concerned about potential liability from their work or their real estate investments commingling, causing all kinds of issues, but that didn't happen to Tom because he protected himself. So many great lessons in this conversation. Today, we're talking to the Henrys out there, the high-earning, not-rich-yet professionals who want to build wealth and independence through real estate, but don't know how to get it done, don't know how to maintain their lifestyle, and just build the passive income snowball through real estate investing. Well, we're going to address all of those topics today with Tom Burns. Great lessons in this one. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments. To date, I've acquired and partnered on or had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, let's get with Tom. Tom, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to dig into your ideas and concepts around why doctors don't get rich. But before we dig into it, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and how you invest and build wealth? Ah, you bet. It's kind of a boring story. I started out as a doctor, kind of helped the title of that book. And, you know, really what happened was doctors go through about at least what I did. I was an orthopedic surgeon. It's a 10 year training period. And there's a portion of that training called residency when we're sort of being trained on the apprenticeship model. And it was during that training that I saw the people that were teaching me, which were the people that were supposed to be me 10, 20, 40 years in the future, right? I didn't like what I saw. They didn't seem to be free and happy and enjoying their lives. And, you know, it happened enough times that I decided maybe I need something to bring in some income that's not correlated with medicine. So I did look at a lot of stuff, ended up falling into, ended up choosing real estate just because it fit the lifestyle of a busy surgeon. And, you know, I, I had no assets, you know, I had no experience, no knowledge, no money, no time. I had no, I didn't have anything and just kind of started square one and, you know, learned a few things, paid off a few small debts. And then did the only thing I knew was just to jump in. Cause you know, back then there wasn't the opportunity to jump into syndications and things like that. So I, I went in and bought something and, you know, it was painful and took a long time and I didn't know anything and learned a lot of lessons and it made a little bit of money, you know, $100, $150 a month, not life-changing, but I liked that. And so the guy that, the broker that sold it to me, I said, do you have any more of these? He goes, yeah, I got one down the street. So we went and that one looked like it was going to make money. We bought that one and it took a little less time. And so I just bought another and another and another and bought quite a few of those things and 
it created a nice little passive income. And again, wasn't life changing, but eventually started changing my schedule a little bit. So I started doctoring a little less, a little more real estate. I was in the market. I ended up running into, you know, I had a friend. I, I, I came to a point where I had a, I kind of hit a ceiling, you know, a nice little portfolio of small properties. And I wanted to do more. As you said, if you're not growing, you're dying. Well, I felt like I was kind of just flat. And so I asked a friend of mine who was a developer. I said, look, will you teach me what you know? He thought I was crazy. He looked at me and he said, you're a rich doctor. You don't need to do this. And I, you know, once he finished laughing, I said, well, let's, you know, let's teach me anyway. So I worked with him for 18 months, taking, you know, canceling afternoon office, getting time off. I didn't make a dime, but that morphed into a project that we did together. And we now, the two of us own a 150,000 square foot medical complex, you know, that since, since 2001. So that was a nice, a nice thing. And during that period, I, I was speaking for somebody on stage and somebody came up and introduced themselves, said they were moving to Austin, Texas. So we connected up for coffee and that ended up being another partner. So, uh, you know, we took, we took that partnership and ended up primarily doing apartment development throughout central Texas, a little bit into Oklahoma and New Mexico. And so it was just a kind of a slow organic burn from learning how to buy a little student condominium to building 300 unit apartment complexes. You know, now we, now we've pivoted to, you know, I've pivoted and we're, you know, we're looking at the opportunistic value add properties now, because I think the next couple of years are going to be a real fun time for us. And that's wow. it. So quite the track record there. At what point did you hit the point where you were able to retire from surgery? Yeah. And so, you know, I liked what I did. First of all, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, that's why I chose the profession. I was an athlete when I was young and it became pretty apparent. Nobody was going to pay me to do that. So I figured I'd, I'd go into sports. I was a sports medicine orthopedic guy. So I hung out with athletes or people I understood. It took about 10 years. You know, it was a slow burn, right? There weren't, I didn't have your podcast to listen to, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have seminars to go to. It was just a little different back then. I don't want to age myself, but you know, we did have TVs and things like that, but there was, you know, no internet, believe it or not. And so it took about 10 years of just kind of doing things. All of a sudden one day I, you know, I tracked my expenses and everything. I looked one day and realized, you know, my, my real estate income was making enough to cover my expenses. And shortly after it was making more than my orthopedic salary. So I, I ran in and told my wife, honey, my passive income has eclipsed our expenses. I'm financially free. And she said, that's awesome, honey. Will you please take out the garbage? So she was <laughs> not impressed. But the, the, the answer to your question, I continued to practice. I practiced for 12 and a half more years. Now, not everybody will want to do that, but it's because my, my medical practice was fun. I eliminated all the annoying things that, you know, that I had in my life. And I really enjoyed what I did. In fact, the last four years of my practice were essentially for free. I really didn't get paid. So I really, I just retired probably, well, a little over two and a half years ago. So I was a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on the retirement. So there's this kind of cautionary tale in the multifamily space and real estate investing more generally where it's, it's not uncommon for an operator or an investor to find an opportunity, particularly in like a mid-sized multifamily range that is owned by a doctor and frankly, completely mismanaged. And that creates or presents 
plenty of opportunity. How did you avoid becoming that cautionary tale of the doctor who bought a property, but wasn't involved in the operations, thought it was going to be entirely passive, but they weren't just engaged enough to keep things on track and just kind of let it go to pot. That didn't happen to you. So how did you avoid that? Well, we were the operators. So, you know, you know, it's, it's you know, real estate's a team sport. You know, the, the, the first stuff I had was single units, single unit student condominiums. Can't necessarily recommend it, but, you know, it made money. It still makes, I still own those things, you know, and I actually haven't seen them for 25 years, but I see the checks every month. And so that was, that was not a difficult thing. Had a good manager, believe it or not, same manager that whole time. We started doing our own stuff. We actually self-managed the, the, we have a management company. So we self-managed the medical complex. We got a good team there. That's management. You know, real estate is management, particularly in multifamily, if you're talking about that. And so we've, you know, we, we have a, a really good team of the team that built the apartments. We have good teams. You know, we try to do our best to foresee problems, but you know, the plenty of mistakes have been made over the last 25, 30 years for sure. I try to make them only once. Uh, I can't say that I've, I've, you know, batted a thousand on that attempt, but you know, sometimes I've made a mistake twice, but I really know the answer now, but it, so it's all on the team and it's, it's, it's in management. And so, you know, we have meetings weekly with our, our management company. And if they're not pulling, you know, if they're not doing the job, we'll try to encourage them to do a better job. And then if they don't, we, we replace them. So that's why we've, actually not going with just one management company. We have multiple management companies so we can replace one without the other. So I guess that's how I did it. You know, it's not like everything went perfectly, but that's how. Makes sense. I think, yeah, some folks buy an asset, think it's thinking it's going to be passive and just hand it off to a property manager. And then a couple of years later, come to find out that it's losing money or they're losing it back to uh, the bank. So we see that happen. Well, you know, I mean, there's a, there's always an active component to the, it's passive. Yes. I mean, if you're in a syndication, it's passive. There's nothing you can do anyway. If you're a limited partner, you don't have any power, but you know, if you own something and you've got somebody else managing it, your job is to manage that manager. And so, you know, you'll, you'll get, you'll unfortunately get that, that, that answer sometimes if you're not watching your property. So you, you do, you do need to watch your manager kind of need to manage them. So I buried the lead here a little bit, but I want to just straight up ask the question, why don't doctors get rich? So that title, my, my friend, Robert Kiyosaki was on and suggested I write the book and believe it or not at that lunch that day, he said, and you could call it why doctors don't get rich. That's a true story. The book's really written for, it's written for anybody. There's a few pages that are directed at the docs, but it's a metaphor for the fact that no matter how much you get paid per hour or per service or per project, if you get sick or you get hit by a bus, the music, music stops, you know, you can get paid $10,000 an hour, but if you don't have the ability to give that hour, you're not going to get paid. So that's, that's sort of the, the premise of the book is that, you know, freedom and, you know, wealth is, wealth is a lot of things. Wealth is money for sure. That's, or it's a, that's a tool that can help you get the other pillars of wealth, which is your health and your relationships and your family and your spirituality and travel and, and, you know, all that sort of thing that, that help you grow as a person. So it, it's, it's primarily about, it's primarily the fact that if you just earn your money, it can be, it can stop at some point. So what you want is you want your money out there working for you and you want that money to make you more money. And then you want that 
that money to start making babies and let it just compound over time. So that was the premise that, you know, you, you can become, you can become free. You can, you can be rich, rich being, you know, kind of having all the parameters of wealth. If you've got passive income coming in, because you can make mistakes, you can cover that with your passive income, or you can be traveling to Hawaii. As you and I talked about before we started the recording, you could be working, you could be playing with your kids or sleeping. That's, that's what I view as wealth is control of your time and control of the choices that you get to make in life. So you started out with small properties making not a ton of money every month, as you mentioned, 150 bucks, you know, I'm not going to complain about 150 bucks a month, but at the end of the day, it's not going to pay your bills. It's not going to replace your income anytime soon. So were you excited about that $150 a month? Did you have that long-term vision? I mean, do you think a lot of people just kind of want the whole thing right off the bat, that first property to cover the whole, (laughs) cover all your expenses and, and you're done? I mean, is that the lack of vision that a lot of folks have? Well, you know, I think the answer is yes and yes. I was elated. I was excited because that 150 bucks came in. It came in every month. It was all, I couldn't stop it. And, you know, it, it just kept coming in. It didn't no matter what I did. So that was exciting. And that's why I got more of them. But, you know, realize this was over 25 years ago. So inflation has done its thing. And, you know, those are making some pretty good money now. And, of course, we all want, you know, wouldn't we all love to win the lottery, right? But we all want it now. I mean, if you're given a choice of, of something good happening 10 years from now or tomorrow, we'll all choose tomorrow. But that, I wouldn't call it lack of vision. It, I would call it sometimes maybe lack of experience because, you know, the game that you and I are in, the game that most people are in in real estate, it's, it's a long game, but it's a solid game. If you play it as a long game, it's pretty hard to, to upend things uh, down the road, you know, if you play it right and set things up. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have some patience. Compounding is is a really is a really fabulous fabulous asset to use. It does its thing over time, and you can keep working. You just keep adding to that, and it compounds on top of compounding. So, yeah, it's 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 a it's a bit of a you know persistence and discipline is what really wins the game. So you were acquiring assets, but eventually decided to get into larger developments, building a large medical office complex. How did you feel comfortable or, or build the level of comfort required to get into that big of an undertaking if you hadn't done it before? You bet. And then of course there's, there's me being one of those guys, right? You know, I had all these little things. I wanted something bigger. I wanted the education. I wanted to break out of that glass ceiling that I felt I was bumping up against. And certainly that's what happened. I, I learned a lot. And what I did on this one was I've, partnered up with, you know, somebody that had experience to some degree. So, uh, you know, there, there was fear. I can promise you there was fear because we put up the money, Justine and I, he had a bit more experience, a bit more hubris. And, uh, you know, I kind of learned from that, you know, I, I didn't always tell him how scared I was, but over time it worked. So I, I just figured, you know, I, I figured I could survive a loss of what was going on. Although that was really a big loan to put, and we had to put, we put our name on the loan. So, you know, it wasn't like multifamily. We didn't have a non-recourse loan. So that was painful and scary. So, you know, I was just was having so much fun and learning so much. I think that's how I got over the fear. And probably maybe we look towards the future about what it could be once it gets built. And everything seemed to work out for that one. So a lot of 
doctors and other high earners that I speak with have a difficult time or at least have a mental block about getting started. And a lot of that is driven by lifestyle inflation. They spend too much and don't have enough left over to invest. Right. When you first got started, were you in that position or like what was your situation like when you were starting out? When I started, you know, I was, I mean, geez, I started focusing on real estate before I got out of training. So I was broke when I learned about real estate. Then I, and then, you know, lucky me, I, I did become a doctor and that's a, that's a pretty nice salary that allowed me to pay off some meager bills. And I had the money to, to invest in some small things and, and to make a mistake here and there. Sure. So it sounds like you were, you were broke, but you hadn't had the opportunity quite to inflate your lifestyle gotcha. and spend too much and have to gotcha. work back against it. Right. Like. And, and I still did, you know, there was a point where I looked at it I was living on 30% of my income. And then I looked not too much beyond that. And I was living on 105% of my income. It, it happens that expense creep is real. You know, you have kids, you get the big house and I was never a big car guy. I've been driving a truck forever, but uh, yeah, I still was, I still was able to let that expense creep come right on in. Was pretty diligent about never using any of the investment money for anything personal. That's always been in the investment companies. So that's probably what helped me. And over time we did kind of look back at, at what we were spending, making sure we weren't being frivolous, but also didn't want my family to suffer while I was out doing my, I had, I was a doctor. I'm supposed to, you know, be able to, to you know, care for my family. And so my attention deficit had me off in the real estate world. So I had to make sure I didn't lose any personal money even by doing real estate. So there's the aspect of money, which is important, of course, but then there's also time. You were still practicing for a long time and paring back your hours while you were practicing yep. and, and building up your real estate portfolio. Plus you had a family to deal with, but how did you strike that balance? And And as we're talking here, I think you said you're, you're coming up on your 40th wedding anniversary, yeah. which is great. That's working out for you. Of course. How did you strike that balance and make sure that everything was getting the attention that it needed from business and also to the most important thing, family? Yeah, that became an easy one for me. And this is, you know, this is going to sound like I think I'm perfect, but you know, I, I always, I always kind of had family first. They were young when I started this. And then I sat with a, a doctor, believe it or not, who had built up a great big practice, big, busy guy. He was the guy all the hospitals wanted him to come work there. Right. And he sat with me one day and said that he built it, built that big practice over 10 or 15 years and didn't spend much time with his family. And that, and then he was trying to establish relationship with his family. They were teenagers and his kids didn't want to have much to do with him. So the guy was practically crying while he talked me, talked to me about that. That was Within the first year of my doctor practice, I already had the thought process and I wasn't going to miss my kids stuff. So that just cemented it. So I, I would cancel office and go read to the kids at first grade and I never missed a practice. And so that was always, it was, just became easy. You know, you keep, keep making the same decision once it's just a, it's a, it's like a rule. So we did that first. And so if I had to do some doctoring or some real estate work. You know, that was on my own time. So sometimes it was early in the morning before I went to surgery or late at night when uh, maybe I should have been sleeping. So there was a time when I burnt the candle at both ends for a while, but that was a, that was a short time. So that flame burned bright for a while, but you know, over, over a relatively short period of time, it started producing fruit and that started buying me back even the extra time. 
Were there any times where you felt like you were burning the candle at both ends, but also starting to burn out and getting to the point where you really couldn't do it anymore? Because if you're working really hard and hustling and having the time of your life, then you know it can be energizing. But if you're, again, to use the analogy, burning the candle at both ends, people talk about burnout these days, especially amongst doctors, even if you're managing your schedule. Did it ever come to a head as far as all the work that was being put in? I wish I could tell you I, I went down low and came out of it, but no, I was having so much fun doing both of them. I was real. I was enjoying being a, a surgeon. I was enjoying doing the real estate because that was growing like crazy, and I was learning new things. So, I, I think if, if anything, I was probably a little blind, you know, because I was having so much fun. But you know, as long as I took care of the family and was enjoying it, just you know, I just didn't sleep. So I figured I could do that later in life. <laughs> So doctors tend to be very concerned about liability from a malpractice standpoint. Did you, that, that ever thought process ever come through your head and you ever worry about potential malpractice liability going after your rentals and maybe the other way around rentals coming after your personal assets? How did you control that potential liability? So I started at the, the first property I ever bought was in an LLC. Excuse me. It was in actually a limited partnership because LLCs were were not hundred percent mainstream by then. So my first few my first few partnerships were limited partnerships. And they still exist. I, yeah, I compartmentalized everything, followed the rules, did all you know all the all the bookkeepings done. And so those are you know those are twenty five and thirty year old entities now. So I've had everything compartmentalized since then. And in fact, I I even separate them out if it's a if it's an at risk asset. Or, you know, let's say I own 100% of the asset. Somebody can slip and fall and break their neck or something. They're just going to get what's inside that LLC. And if I have non-risk assets, let's, you know, such as limited partnership shares and something, that goes into another LLC. So uh, everything's pretty compartmentalized to the point that it's, I've got my, my entity chart sitting next to me and it, it looks like chaos. I have too many LLCs. If you had to do it all over again, what is one decision you would make differently or take back? Always answer this out of both sides of my mouth because I pretty much feel blessed with where I am. I've had plenty of ups and downs in life, but I, I wouldn't change it, you know, for the world. I got a great family and all that stuff. So that's that's the one thing. I really wouldn't change anything. From the business side, I I might have I might have focused more. I bounced a little, you know, a little medical office space, student property, mobile homes, multifamily, you know, I have focused over the last 10 years or so, but might've focused a little bit more, might have retired earlier. I just didn't know I was having so much fun being a doctor, but uh, it got more fun, believe it or not, when I got out. So probably one of those two things. Great. Makes a lot of sense. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Tom, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? All right, question number one. What is your number one book recommendation? I like Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy's book, The Gap in the Game. I like several of their books, but if you ask for one, I like that one because it's it kind of goes along with part of what we talked about. You know, you talked about you know, folks wanting to get it all at once, you know, and that sort of thing. And you know, maybe maybe being down because they didn't, you know, an investment didn't do as well as as planned, but you know, The Gap and the Gain is a really great book about, you know, gain thinking. Gap thinking is my goal was a 10. I made it to six, you know, 
crud. I only, you know, I only made it to six. Game thinking is I started at zero and I made it to six. Let's retool that and see what we can do next year. So it was a really good book. It's great on audio because I interviewed Dan Sullivan at the end of each chapter. It's been helpful in my life and my thought process. Great book recommendation. Big fan of that book and their other books as well. Question number two, who or what inspires you? I'm inspired by people that don't quit when they get knocked down and they get back up and they, they play by the rules and, you know, are, are out there to, to create in life what they can create and not take from others there. I'm inspired by the people that prefer to, that, that prefer to give. And, you know, you find out the more you give, the more people you serve, the more, you know, the more wealthy you become, believe it or not. So that's the kind of person that inspires me. Question number three, think about Tom at 80 years old. What advice would he give to Tom of today? Oh gosh, he'd sleep more. I'm trying to do that now. So sleep more. Uh, uh, and I'm a huge travel buff and I'd still probably tell me to travel a bit more and, and probably shouldn't have quit tennis. I took a 30 year tennis break and it's really hard coming back to play tennis after 30 years because my body can't cash the checks that my brain wants to, wants to give it. So that's my, that's my answer for that one. Sage wisdom. Well, Tom, thanks for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, get in touch, or find your book, where can they track you down? You bet. Books on Amazon at Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. They can reach me at the website is richdoctor.com. And they can email me directly if anybody wants to at hello at richdoctor.com. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one.